Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be back in Fredericton. And uh, it seems that Rosie and I seem to come at significant times over the 22 years that we've been coming here. I was just thinking of the time, I think it was 21 years ago, um, when you were at Sliders. Anybody remember Sliders? <laughs> when the Gleaner reporter came in to do a, re a report on the meetings and she described me as being rugged and sinewy. <laughs> Anybody remember that? I tell you, that prophetic word has lived with me. <laughs> I would say the ruggedness is still there, but I would probably need the ministrations of Ollie to be a bit more sinewy. <laughs> anyway, well, it's, it's so good to be with you. Um, it does feel very much like coming coming back home in, in many ways, so many friends, and um, I'm very excited to be here and praying really, and have been very much in prayer, and our church in Horsham have been very much in prayer for this visit, that uh, like Paul writing to the Romans, he says, I didn't want my coming to you to be in vain, and I'm coming that I might impart a spiritual gift to you. So that's my heart for you, and uh, really I, I'm so thrilled to be here. So we are going to look this morning at a passage of scripture. So I would say if you're a proper Christian, take out your Bible. <laughs> if you're still under the old covenant, take out your tablet. And if you want to hear God speak, take out your phone. Anyway, whichever way it is, and turn to John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. And I'll read that in a moment. Just to say, young preachers often ask me, how long does it take to prepare a message? How long do you spend preparing? I would say this one this morning has taken about 60 years. Um, it was in 1959 when I was a young teenager, 14-year-old boy. My parents took me to a convention meeting and I heard a guy speak. His name was Alistair Smith. He was a very famous preacher in the UK and he actually spoke on the second coming um, but he also talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I grew up in a Christian home and believed in being filled with the Holy Spirit but there was something about the passion of this preacher that really shaped me as a young teenager that gripped me and gave me such a hunger and thirst for God. And that has lived with me ever since, although there have been times when that thirst hasn't been as great as it should be. And what I want to do this morning is to create in you a thirst for the Holy Spirit. You know, this church was birthed in an incredible move of the Holy Spirit. That's how it got started. In Smythe Street Cathedral at a conference where just about 20 or 30 people had invited me and my band uh, at the time to, to come in and bring minister to a, a group of people who were hurt, broken, and uh, yet were seeking after God. And in those meetings at Smythe Street, the Holy Spirit of God broke in with incredible drama and power. Now, you are a church who were born in the life and power of the Spirit. And what I want to bring to you today is to say, go on in the life of the Spirit. The Spirit 
is the key to your success as a church. So I haven't got anything new to bring. It's the old story, but I hope it will come with a degree of freshness and urgency to you to go on being filled with the Spirit. And just one story to start this off. Back in the 70s, you would drive miles to go to any church that talked about the Holy Spirit. And it was in 1976 that God called me out of school teaching to go into the ministry. And I ended up in an Anglican church in full-time ministry. Now, the Anglican church mainly was dead then, but this church was coming alive in the Spirit. And I was invited by the vicar to go in and to train the church in worship, train house group leaders, and bring life in the Spirit. That was my mandate. Um, It did eventually get me into a lot of trouble, um, and I ended up with Terry Virgo. uh, (laughs) um, But anyway, the very first time I preached on this passage from John 7 and verse 37 was in this church. Uh, That was the first time I preached on this passage of Scripture, and it was a church, as I say, that was coming alive in the Spirit, but there was also a lot of opposition. And we had uh, what, what were called church wardens. And the church wardens were, I suppose, a bit like the directors. That's, that's, how you, that, that's what their, their, their role was. And, um, you know, the ministry was accountable to the church wardens. And there was one church warden who was a saved man, but he was very negative about the Holy Spirit and reasonably negative about me. And um, he was a, a doctor, he was very well known in the city, and in fact he'd been the mayor of the city, so he was quite a big guy. And um, I preached on this passage, and I preached that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, and that the Holy Spirit is alive and active, and that there are spiritual gifts and healings and miracles and gifts of the Spirit, and encourage this church to come alive in the Spirit. Now, in those days, I used to wear a black gown for preaching, my black academic gown. The vicar would wear his white Anglican surplus, and it was a bit like Darth Vader and the angel Gabriel (laughs) when when we were leading the meeting. And uh, I'd preach my heart out, And in those days, the preacher used to go to the back of the church and shake everybody's hand as they went out. And uh, they would hopefully say, nice sermon, vicar. Well, my worst nightmare happened. I was at the back of the church, a rather large vestibule, about 500 people in the church, and I was shaking people's hands. As people came out into the vestibule, this man walks across, collapses on the floor, and his heart stops. And basically, he dies. Now, I have just been preaching that Jesus does miracles, that the church is to be alive in the Spirit. So here am I with this guy collapsed in front of all these people that I've just preached to, that Jesus is alive and does miracles today. So what do I do? Well, the doctor, Dr. Jones, was there. He came over and did what doctors do, pummeled the heart, did the whole kind of nose job and breath job and and all that. And uh, not a flicker from this man. By now, the minutes were passing by 
and this man's lips were starting to go blue. I mean, he was a complete and utter stiff. There he was. <laughs> so my heart is now pounding. And I said to the doctor, can I pray for him? And the doctor said, well, you can try. And um, I knelt down by him. Now, my prayer was a cop-out prayer. And I prayed that God would give him life, thinking it might be eternal life. And it, anyway, I, I prayed for him. And that man sat bolt upright, started to breathe, and his heart started to pump again. The cardiac ambulance was called. He was taken off to the hospital. And uh, Rosie's father, who was alive then, went to the hospital with him and in the hospital led him to the Lord. Now that man lived for another six months and then he died, but he died a Christian. So I'm always in faith when I preach this message, but please don't die on me this morning. <laughs> okay. So here we are. John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now get the picture here, this is the last day of the feast, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, it was an important day in the Jewish calendar and what would happen on the day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, on the last day, the high priest would bring a big pitcher of water up from the pool of Siloam, he'd bring it into the temple and then the high priest and several other priests would march around the altar with this pitcher of water and it was like a symbolic prophetic act. And then the pitcher of water would be poured on the altar and the priests would call out, Yahweh is salvation, Yahweh is salvation, Yahweh is salvation. And that day was called the great Hosanna because uh, the word Hosanna means God save us. And it was a cry for the Messiah to come. Now Jesus interrupts those proceedings. Now the interesting thing is, if you rewind back into your Old Testament to the time of Haggai, Haggai was a great prophet who prophesied about the restoring of the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And that was after 70 years, the temple was restored. And Haggai prophesies about the new temple and he prophesies on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So Haggai prophesies a time when the latter glory would be greater than the former, that God was going to shake the heavens and the earth, that he was going to shake the nations and that he was going to fill this temple with his glory. Interesting, the, exactly the same day, the last day of the feast, the same day that Jesus stands up and announces this. Now the interesting thing about Haggai's prophecy was that it never ever came to pass. 
in the second temple, there was no manifestation of the Shekinah glory and there were some 500 years of real spiritual kind of departure from the things of God. The, the Jewish nation went through all kinds of uh, terrible situations, overrun by, by all kinds of other nations. So was Haggai right in his prophecy? Well, here we are now on the last day of the feast, fulfilling what had been prophesied. And Jesus is declaring in this messianic expectation, here I am. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The temple was now filled with the glory. Jesus was that glory. And instead of it being something that was for the Jewish nation, now the promise was for all nations. Every nation would be shaken. God is the God who rules over the whole earth and God's plan has always been that there would be in every tribe, tongue and nation a people for his glory. And so what was acted out prophetically by the priest was fulfilled in Jesus. Now Jesus could have got arrested just for doing that. But here he is declaring, this is the messianic age. I am here. Now John commenting on that says that Jesus was talking about the spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So before this great prophetic messianic promise could be fulfilled, something had to happen. And that something was the glorification of Jesus. Now what is the glorification of Jesus? Well, theologians will tell us that what is meant by the term the glorification of Jesus is the sum total of all the events that we call Easter. From the triumphal uh, riding into Jerusalem on the donkey to the Mount of Olives to the mocking up of a trial to the cruelties of the crucifixion to the glories of the resurrection and the ultimate triumph where Jesus ascends to the right hand of his father where the father says well done well done single-handedly you have accomplished the work of redemption so it's all of those things put together that bring about the triumph of Jesus Christ Lord of the universe seated now at the right hand of the father now Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost when the spirit was outpoured says this when the people are asking, what's going on? What's all this about? Peter says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. In other words, Jesus' victory over sin and death, principalities and powers, has been completed but the messianic age was not about Jesus in his manhood doing it all. It was now he was imparting himself to the church so they could do what he did. So that's when this prophecy was fulfilled and it's been fulfilled through 2,000 years 
of history. So I want to put this under four main headings and we'll see how far we get with this. So the first is that there is a promise of the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that there was there in the Old Testament. It was declared by John the Baptist. Do you remember when John the Baptist first saw Jesus? He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's why Jesus primarily came to deal with our sin. But it wasn't just to deal with our sin. It was to give us the life of the Spirit. And he says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he says... I baptise you with water for repentance. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we can say, yeah, that's great, the fire of the Holy Spirit, yeah, let's go for that. But he also says something else. He says, and his winnowing fork is in his hand. So we can leave that bit out. Now, what is the winnowing fork? Well, in those days when the farmers were collecting the grain, they would get this fork and they would put it into the grain and they would throw it up in the air and the chaff would blow away, it would separate and the corn would fall to the ground. Now there is an aspect of the Holy Spirit that is not just about fire and wind and rain and rivers and all the imagery we love to use about the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit and there is a separating there is a separating. And we need to remember that as Christians that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit but there is a separating from the flesh. And we need to be careful in our Christian lives that we, though we begin in the Spirit, that we don't go back to the flesh. In fact, Paul writing to the Galatians, he, he's very strong. He says to them, you who begun in the spirit, with signs and wonders and miracles, will you continue in the flesh? So there is a message for us today. There is a warning for us that it is not just being filled with the spirit, but there is a winnowing fork where there is a separation of the flesh from the spirit. The baptism in the spirit, the filling of the spirit, it was declared in the Old Testament, declared by John the Baptist, it was fulfilled in Jesus himself. So Jesus, in his manhood, needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish what his Father had given him to do. So when Jesus was baptised, the Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove and he was filled with the Spirit and then it says, and Jesus filled with the Spirit. Now we need to understand that what Jesus did on this earth, even though he was the Son of God, he was also the Son of Man. And he needed the anointing of the Spirit to accomplish his mission. So Jesus was filled with the Spirit. And as we've already mentioned, it was received by the disciples at Pentecost. So this is a promise that goes right back, right from Genesis 1 and runs right through a thread in the Old Testament that God would pour out his spirit. The prophets were constantly talking about it. So deeply rooted in scripture, Jesus fulfills the promise. He is filled with the spirit. And then the promise is for us. So now, how do we receive the Spirit? Well, I want to say, first of all, that the Spirit 
has been active in your life right the way through your life. Before you were a Christian, the Spirit was working in you. You cannot become a Christian without the work of the Spirit. You cannot decide to become a Christian, okay? You may think you decided, but actually God decided. And his Spirit drew you to himself. It's what we call the quickening or the effectual call, the waking up, the wake-up call. So when we're dead in our sins, the Spirit wakes us up and stirs us and brings us to new birth. But there is also a filling of the Spirit. And you can be filled with the Spirit. You may be born of the Spirit, but are you filled with the Spirit? Now, if you've got a drink, okay, you know when the glass is full. Okay, it's not rocket science. Okay, we can be filled with the Spirit. So how are we filled with the Spirit? Well, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's the first requirement. Now, many years ago, before Rosie and I had the kids, we, were, uh, we had our first holiday abroad together and we went to the beautiful island in the Mediterranean, off the coast of Italy of Sardinia. And we were young and fancy free in those days, no kids. We went with another couple and um, we had a great holiday. And one day we hired a vehicle, it was called a Mini Moak. So it was like a small Land Rover, a four wheel drive, but all it was was a chassis on wheels. <laughs> so you just kind of sat in it, no seat belts in those days, you just sat in it and you could go over all the terrain you wanted to. And we drove for hours in this thing, having great fun under scorching Sardinian sun. And we got to the point where we were absolutely gasping for something to drink. And we arrived at this beach and uh, my friend David, who was with me, um, we got out of this mini moak and we were absolutely gasping for a drink. At the end of the beach, there was a, a bar. <sighs> we ran along that beach for all we were worth. We collapsed on the bar and this Italian mama was there. And we said in our best Italian, due birra par favore. And this lady looked at us and she goes, piccolo o grande? <laughs> and we said, grande! <laughs> Now, when God fills us with his spirit, it's not piccolo, it's grande. But we need to be thirsty. We need to be thirsty. Many, many years ago, in the early days of New Frontiers, Terry Virgo used to gather several pastors together on a Thursday morning, and we would pray together and talk vision and prophesy. It was a, an incredible time. And sometimes we would get guys from other churches who were leading other churches who saw what God was doing in our movement of churches and would want to find some things out. And there was one guy who'd moved into Brighton who was the pastor of the local URC church, United Reformed Church. And uh, that, that's a, a fairly liberal denomination. It's neither United nor Reformed, so I don't know why they call it the United Reformed Church. Anyway, um, he'd heard about our meetings and he came. Now, we would be talking theology, discussing things, and he wanted to get in 
on the act a bit. And uh, um, I gather that there is a beer that you can get in Canada called Heineken. Okay, well, it's very popular in England. It comes from Holland. And the TV adverts at the time had an advert that said, drink Heineken, it refreshes the parts that other beers don't reach. That was the advert. So this guy comes in, and we're all talking away, and uh, he says, I've discovered these great Bible commentaries. So we're saying, oh, yeah, you know, we're t- kind of a bit sophisticated, I thought. Oh, yes, what, which one's that then? And uh, he says, it's by a guy. Now, there, this Bible commentary is by a man by the name of Hendrickson. So he says, yeah, I found this great commentary by a guy, a theologian called Heineken. <laughs> he got the name totally wrong. And Henry Tyler, one of our... Uh, one of the guys there who was a great wit said, yeah, refreshes the parts, <laughs> refreshes the text other commentators don't reach. <laughs> anyway, this, this guy, he began to share about his situation and he said, I am so thirsty. I am so thirsty. And we prayed for him to be baptised in the Spirit. And he was. And he went back and absolutely transformed his church. So I want to say to you this morning, are you thirsty for God? You know, the thing is, when you are in God's work, you know, you're giving out, you're giving out. There comes times when, yeah, I need you, God. I need you. I need more. I need to be a drinker before I'm a dispenser. So come and drink from the Spirit. So the second thing, so Jesus said, Ask the Father and he would give the Spirit to those who ask. So it's not just that we are thirsty, but we ask the Father for the Spirit. Now we go on being filled with the Spirit. Now there is an initial experience of the Spirit that we call the baptism in the Spirit. But we can have been baptised in the Spirit 20, 30, 40 years ago, but if we are not consistently coming back and being filled with the Spirit, you cannot live on yesterday's manner. You need food for today. You need to be drinking constantly from the Spirit. So we need to ask for the Spirit. I regularly pray, God, fill me again with your Spirit. Now, it's a mystery because the Spirit abides with us. John in his epistle says, you have an anointing that abides. And he does abide. He's always there, but there's always more. It's a paradox, but it's a wonderful paradox. You can always come back and ask for more. So you ask, and you know there's an old saying, if you don't ask, you don't get. So you come and ask the Father who is willing to give good gifts to his children. And then, and this is where a lot of people get unstuck, We receive, we ask, and then we receive. Now this is the crunch bit, and this is where people often find it difficult to actually take hold. Now you receive the Spirit by faith. You ask in faith. When you ask, God will give you the promise. Now, we are different different kinds of people, different temperaments. Some of us are lightning conductors. You've only got to mention wind, river, fire, and we're off. But others are not like that. 
Some people are a bit more phlegmatic, gentle in their spirit, not, not quite wired in that way. And that is absolutely fine. God deals with us as individuals who we are. So it's not necessarily the dramatic, it is faith that is the thing that counts. We ask, and when we ask, we will receive. Now, sometimes when we ask in that way, the Spirit comes upon us, and yeah, outflow the rivers of living water, they whoosh out, out it comes, and speaking in tongues, and prophesying, and seeing visions, and going to bed and having dreams, and it's like, you're real gung-ho in the spirit, and that's fine. But others of us are not like that. We're not wired that way. God's spirit is still the same. But sometimes we have to really take an act of faith. Now, how do we know that we are filled with the spirit? How do we know? Well, I'm going to show, give you some indications at, in, in a moment. But, you know, when we speak in tongues, we engage with the Spirit. And Paul says, I would that you all spoke in tongues. So I do not believe speaking in tongues is the sign of the baptism in the Spirit. Okay, I would categorically say that. But what I do believe is that when you are baptised in the Spirit, you can Paul would not say, I would, that you all speak in tongues if he didn't think we all could. So I just want to draw a slight distinction here between speaking in tongues as a prayer language to God, and I'll say a bit more about that in a moment, and the gift of tongues where somebody in the church speaks out in a tongue, we are all quiet, and then that needs to be interpreted. There is a difference between tho those two things. So... How do we speak in tongues? If you ask for the Spirit, you'll receive. Now, what about the speaking in tongues bit? Well, if you're a lightning rod, you'll just do it. But if you're not like that, you do it. Now, here, here is the thing. Okay, God is not a ventriloquist. He doesn't put his hand up your back and make you go like that and out come the words. You have a tongue and you use your tongue and you speak and it's a language, and even if it's just a simple, simple few words, as you do it, what will happen is that the rivers of living water will begin to flow. And I know of people who've had just a few words of a tongue, and they've stayed with that sometimes for days, sometimes for a few weeks, and then out, out it comes. Wynne and Janice, lovely to see you this morning. Do you remember when I prayed for you all those years ago back at your old house, amazing. Wynne and Janice just engaged with the Spirit and off they, Janice was, she was away, she was going, Wynne as well, wonderful. Now, all I did was tell you that, wasn't it? That's all I did, I just said, you know, just receive and begin. And they did. Now look at them, still here, going on in God, wonderful. Now, what I would say is this, the signs and the wonders and all of that are great, but the essential result and results of being filled with the Spirit are much more comprehensive 
than just having the ability to speak in tongues. Way, way, way more comprehensive. So we're going to look at the results of being filled with the Spirit. Is that 12.54 time or the number of minutes I've been going? Okay. <laughs> There's no preaching clock, so Rosie's my preaching clock. <laughs> Those of you who know me know I'm like a train when I get going. Okay. So what are the results of being filled with the Spirit? Well, I want to highlight some things that are not necessarily to do with wind, fire and rain and all that. Okay, so let's take the first one. Communion with God. We need to be able to commune with God. And when we are flooded with the Spirit, we can commune with God. And that is the great blessing of speaking in tongues because you commune with God. Paul says if you speak in a tongue, you edify yourself, you build yourself up, you draw close to God. And sometimes just singing in tongues can help you to do that. I could give you many stories about, about that. So when you speak in a tongue, there is praise, there is mystery, there is a participation in Trinitarian worship. You know, God loves himself. The Father loves the Son who loves the Spirit, who loves the Son who loves the Spirit. And God is a praising, worshipping God. Now, this is a great mystery. Now, when we are caught up in praying in the Spirit, we are participating in something that God actually does. So we are, none of us have our own ability to worship. When we are flooded with the Spirit, we get caught up in what God is doing. He is a praising God. God loves himself. If, you've, if that's a new concept to you, you read John Piper and some of, some of his great, great books. God loves himself. He is intrinsically satisfied in himself. And what happens when we are living in that supernatural dimension is that we get caught up in something that God is doing. But there is another thing, intercession. Romans 8, 26 says this, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the word of God. Now, I guess most of us go through times where we just don't know what to pray for. We know we should pray, and we may even want to pray, but I don't know how to do it. The Spirit makes intercession through us. And Gordon Fee, in his great commentary on, on the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence, he, he says this about this verse, verse, that Paul was probably referring there to speaking in tongues, those utterances that come from deep within us so we don't know how to pray last year rosie and i celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary and uh, we uh, enjoyed a really great holiday on the greek island of samos and we had a fantastic two weeks there and we ended up by going back to the mainland greece and having two or three nights in athens we had a great day in athens at the end of the day, we went back to our hotel and my passport was missing. And I realised that there had been an incident on the subway with two youths 
who'd brushed past us and they'd stolen it, basically. So to cut a very long story short, and the long story is a good one, but to cut it short, basically it meant that I was going to have to stay in Athens for at least five days before I could get home. Rosie was going to have to go back on the flight without me. What a horrible end to a great two weeks. And uh, anyway, I went to bed that night desperate, not knowing what to do. I'd been told that the British Embassy in Athens would, would not be able to see me. This was on the Monday. Would not be able to see me until Wednesday afternoon. That's what I'd been told. And uh, there was absolutely no way that I could get a passport in time to get back on our flight on the Tuesday, which was going to leave at about uh, midday. So I went to bed that night, and you can imagine, it was a very, very troubling situation. And I just prayed in the spirit right through the night. Didn't go to sleep, not a wink of sleep. Didn't lose my peace, but prayed in the spirit. Now, I didn't know what I was praying for. God, get me home. God, get me a passport. God, help me to find somebody. I just prayed in the spirit. At about five o'clock, having spent those hours through the night in prayer, God spoke to me. He said, get dressed, pack your case, and go to the embassy and get there by eight o'clock. It was as clear as that. So that's what I did. And uh, Ro Rosie went off in a taxi to the airport, um, and I got in a taxi and went to the embassy. Arrived at the embassy at eight, the guard outside said, um, you, did you want to come in? I said, yes. He said, what's the problem? And uh, I said, well, I've had my passport stolen. He said, wait there. He went inside. He came out um, about 10 minutes later. He said, somebody will see you. Come back here at half past eight. I went back at half past eight. I was seen at about nine o'clock. And it got to... Um, that they said, um, when I went in there, there's no way we can get, get one because um, if you've not applied online, we've got to go back to London, old-fashioned technology, we've got to fax London, and uh, um, it's not going to happen. I said, please try. So anyway, long story short, with minutes to spare, I got my passport, and with seconds to spare, I got on the plane. I saw Rosie in, in, in the in the um, departure lounge. Now, God speaks to us, and when he speaks to us, it is on the basis of our communication with him. And when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit helps us. I hadn't got a clue what to pray. Now, that is true for praying about things like passports that are lost. It's about sicknesses. It's about taking your town for God. It's about believing God for a massive release of finance so that you can buy that building. And I've got some great stories about finance and buildings, I can tell you. You see, when we are filled with the Spirit, we're not governed by fleshly things that make it all logical or illogical. The kingdom of God is an upside-down, illogical kingdom. When you live in the realm of the Spirit, it's different. It's different. The Bible speaks to us. Now, another result of the Spirit is that we love. 
There is an outpouring. It's a baptism of love. And it's a love for God. And it is a love for one another. So in Philippians 2 and verse 2 it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, being in full accord and of one mind. Now the key phrase there, any participation, Greek word koinonia, any koinonia in the Spirit, it's reflected in love for Christ, but it's reflected in love for one another. And it's the Spirit who joins our hearts together. So we don't criticise one another. We don't write emails. We confront and talk and share. We become participants in the Spirit by loving one another and not hearing one bad word from one person to another about our life in God together. We don't do it. We don't gossip. We don't tweet. We don't write emails that are negative and destructive. If you are filled with the Spirit, you just don't do it. Because people who are filled with the Spirit don't do that. I want to say to you, I, I love you. I want to say to you, be a people who love one another with that kind of passion. That is the mark of the New Testament. So when Paul says, don't grieve the Spirit by your speech, I'm saying, don't grieve the Spirit by tweeting, emails, and all that kind of stuff. Don't do it. Just say, no, draw a line. I'm crucified to that. I'm in Christ. I am flooded with the Holy Spirit. And identity and sonship is another thing. Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Debbie's testimony this morning, great. Okay, parenthood, doesn't know, didn't know who her parents were, but she knows who God is. She knows that God's her father. We've got a guy in our church abused by his father from, uh, from infancy physically abused and sexually abused over a number of years. And when he got to his mid-teens, he could stand it no more. He ran away from home, became a drug addict, and uh, his life was a total mess. And then he found Jesus. And I, I've got a prison ministry at the moment, going to a, a local prison. And I took Ian with me, and Ian described in graphic detail to these prisoners what his father had done to him and then just telling them about the love of Jesus and how God has filled his heart and he knows God as his father these hardened criminals tears streaming down their face and some of them finding God see when you know when you have the spirit you know God is your father and in this room there'll be people who've had bad fathers there'll be people who've had absent fathers there'll be people who've had good fathers but on a spiritual level, it's a level playing field. We all need to know the fatherhood of God and the spirit within us cries, Abba, Father. You need to learn to function in the church, so spiritual gifts, that he is the spirit of holiness. We get revelation from God's word. We become effective witnesses. 
So most preachers start with the baptism in the Spirit, with you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Well, I have got there in the end, but I think you know that, that verse. So I want to draw your attention to some of the other aspects of the Spirit. And finally, you maintain your life in the Spirit. How? By being constantly filled with the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. You know, I believe that the charismatic has been diluted by just looking at, well, what the prophetic, you know, there's a whole thing about the prophetic, you know, are you a prophetic person? Of course you're a prophetic person. If you're a Christian, you're a prophet, priest and king. Okay? So, yeah, by the fact that you are a Christian, you are a prophetic person. You know, be... I'm a bit suspicious of people going around in a kind of prophetic bubble. Okay, we all are people of the Spirit. Now there will be some who've got that as a particular gift and that's great. But you can all function. You can all prophesy. Paul says, I want you all to prophesy. I want you all to speak in tongues. All of the gifts of the Spirit are there. <laughs> that's, that, that's the shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I set that to make sure, okay, because I, I do want you to go home and enjoy your lunch, but we're, we're going to, I'm just going to wrap this up now. Okay, we come into a supernatural dimension. When Paul says to the Ephesians that you are sealed with the Spirit who is given to us as a guarantee, the Greek word for guarantee there is uh, it's an arabon, it's a down payment. And what it means, it's a deposit of something that you are going to get the fullness of in the future. So the Holy Spirit, as our guarantee, is a down payment of heaven on earth in us, guaranteeing our future. But we have a taste of it now. So Fanny Crosby's hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine we have the glory divine now it's in part so we can pray for the sick we can see the supernatural miracles all of that because that's bringing heaven to earth we've got the down payment but it's a down payment it's not the whole deal so sometimes people do die sometimes people don't get healed sometimes the prophecy is a bit off beam Yet we are not in the perfect yet. And Paul says when the perfect has come, um, at the moment we see through a glass darkly, when the perfect has come, then we will have full revelation and understanding. Now, when we don't see the sick healed, that doesn't mean that we stop praying for the sick. In fact, we go on more and do it because we've got heaven on earth in us. And I tell you, the more we have of the Spirit... And the more God moves in revival power, the more of those signs and wonders we shall see. And let, so let's press on in the Spirit. Amen. I could talk about this for another three or four hours, but we'll stop there. Listen, I want us to engage with the Spirit. Can the band come up, please? We've just got, just got a ten minutes or so, and I want to give time for this. I really do so that the word is not in word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power. And I guess, as I've been speaking this morning, 
There's nothing new in anything that I've said, I'm sure. You've heard it before. But I want to bring the challenge to you. Where are you now with God? If If you're somebody who prays for the sick, are you doing that regularly? If you're somebody who prophesies, are you doing that regularly? If you're somebody who's got the gift of giving, are you giving? If you're somebody who's got the gift of hospitality, are you using it? I want to say to you, come and be filled with the Spirit. And it may be you've just got fed up with church. I tell you, it happens. It happens. Just come and be refreshed in God. Find one another. It may be that there is somebody relationally you're out of sorts with. Put it right. Participate in the Spirit, the koinonia of the Spirit. Now what I'm going to do, we're going to sing a really lovely song. Now when we sing songs about the Holy Spirit, as I said, we're usually singing about wind and fire and rain. This song, God's used this very, very much in our church in, in Horsham recently. And three or four Sundays ago we were singing it. And I thought, yeah, this song is about life in the Spirit. It doesn't mention life in the Spirit, but the content of the song is about that. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing it, and then... Um, the, the chorus, holy, there is no one like you, is just such a, a beautiful way of expressing to God. And then that fill me with your heart that others may know you. What I'm going to do is invite you to come and fill up this space at the front. Okay? And it doesn't mean that you've sinned or anything like that. I'm just saying, just, just come. It's not that the front's any more holy, but... You're doing something active to say, yeah, God, come and fill me. Now, if you're not comfortable with that, you don't have to come. And uh, that's between you and God and where you are. But if you want to come and just stand at the front here as we sing, and I would love to pray over you for a corporate filling of the Holy Spirit. So let's stand together and do come forward as we sing.